Welcome to the Weekly Standard Podcast. I'm your host, Michael Graham. We've tracked editor Bill Crystal down in New York, where he's uh, working on all sorts of international conspiracies, no doubt. Is that right, Bill? It is, but I'd have to shoot you if I told you what they were, so I'll keep quiet. Uh, I have uh, been in, uh, engaged in a new diet program. I keep going back and rewatching President Obama's inaugural speech, and I lose my appetite for three hours at a time. Ugh, that's an unattractive. There are better ways to lose weight, and, uh, not the, which I need to take up, actually. But that, that one is a bridge too far for even for me. I missed the speech. I was in New York, had a carefully scheduled uh, business lunch right at, during the speech, so I wouldn't have to watch it. But I have read the text a couple of times, and it's a pretty striking speech, isn't it? Well, what jumps out at you? you know, people have talked about the fact that he mentioned specific issues like uh, the treatment of gay Americans, etc. But I thought the overall approach, the combativeness, the, in essence, uh, the campaign is not over. That's, that's what I took away from the speech. Yeah, I guess I did too. I don't, uh, some conservatives are sort of complaining about that. I, look, he won the election. If he thinks it was a mandate for uh, big government liberalism abroad and American retreat, uh, big government liberalism at home and American retreat abroad, he's, I guess, entitled to test that proposition. How over the next two and four years, uh, um, you know, we all liked Reagan's speech in 1980, and that was a pretty combative speech where he laid out a Reaganite vision of government. I do think it was the most, um, the clearest vision articulated by an American president one way or the other, probably since 1980. President Obama's ambition is obviously to reverse the Reagan revolution, um, but more than just reverse that, but to really advance liberalism at home and uh, a certain understanding of liberalism abroad. Um, and I think we will test that over the next four years. And I'm I actually, honestly, I'm sort of glad he did this. I think it clarifies things. It gives conservatives a clear sense now of what they have to fight and what they have to resist. And also, where they can perhaps uh, um, sort of use what I think will be President Obama's overreach to counterattack and to begin to lay the groundwork for a new conservative uh, majority and a new conservative agenda. So it, it'll force some fresh thinking among conservatives. They can't just play defense, so they'll have to play a fair amount of defense. But as I say, in a way, it's a clarifying moment, I think. Do you think that the country is at this moment where they've just been waiting for someone to lead them into an era of big government? Now, just to use your Reagan example, there was a real sense – uh, it was a little bit before my time, but my understanding is a real sense that America was kind of done with what had happened in the 70s and the expansion of government from Nixon through Carter, LBJ obviously before that. And they, Reagan had, in essence, the America's, Americans' permission to try and go in a new direction. Do you think the American people have signed off on what Obama wants, or was this election a rejection of a mediocre candidate and a uh, off-footed, poorly campaigning party? Well, I think we could say that. I think it's true to a degree. But look, presidents uh, sometimes can make out of the rejection of their predecessor or in the, in the case of uh, in the case of Reagan or in this case the rejection of their opponent they can try to make that into a positive agenda if you were a liberal you could have said in 1980 look what well, Reagan just won because people were sick of Carter Reagan got 50 point something percent of the vote I think just a tad just about what President Reagan maybe 51 I think President Obama got a little over 51 this time so it's not that it's, it's somewhat comparable you might say uh, Reagan won in, in 80 they carried one house of Congress not the other and he thought he had a mandate to try to go ahead with a pretty big agenda. So um, I don't begrudge President Obama taking a shot at this. I don't think conservatives can sit back and just say, oh, well, that's going to fail. The American public isn't there. Uh, no, the American public isn't there. But, you know, leaders who succeed often shape the public and lead the public beyond where it thinks it is and where in a way it wants to be. So I think conservatives need to be very aggressive in making the counter argument. They need to go into opposition in a serious way. But that opposition has to be not just defensive but also a really uh, offensive kind of uh, explanation of the conservative agenda to deal with the real problems we're facing, an explanation of why President Obama is not going to succeed, 
I mean, I think the, I don't know if it's good news or bad news. The, the fact is that Reagan succeeded because his policies worked. And for those conservatives who, who think, well, gee, I'm worried Obama could be the new Reagan, I don't think so. Because I, I don't think his big government policies, uh, more spending, more debt, is going to work at home. But I certainly don't think his uh, policies of retreat and withdrawal going to work abroad. But isn't that now, the, the bad point, news Bill is, The bad news is the country will pay some price for that, and we've got to try to minimize that over the next four years. But isn't that the point, which is you know, people watching the last four years saw $5 trillion in new debt. They saw unemployment. The rate is the same. The number of people working is lower. Uh, you, know, you look abroad, and our grand experiment with the Arab Spring is looking really awful, and President Obama still won, and he won relatively handily. Republicans are starting to wonder if if the facts even matter or if president obama owns the conversation with the help of the compliant media so much so that you'll never get around to debating the facts because the whole conversation is going to be i'm obama i hate republicans don't you hate republicans too i think that underestimates the degree to which obama could spin the facts as being favorable to him he did take over for a republican president who presided over the biggest financial collapse in 70 years mm-hmm. the country uh, is better off economically today than it was Four years ago, unemployment is down and, and the markets are up and housing is bottomed is coming up a little. It's not in a very good shape. And we could certainly argue that uh, we could have had a much better rebound with better policies. And we can certainly argue that we're going to pay a huge price down the road for the debt and for the zero interest rate Fed policy. But we haven't paid that much of a price for that right now. Interest rates are low. Inflation is low. So we have a sluggish recovery, but some recovery. And abroad, I would argue, and I really am worried about this, that we'll pay a huge price for our weakness abroad and our gutting of defense. But it's to be fair to the voters, I mean, it wasn't that obvious, you might say, in October of 2012, how bad the price would be. It's not as if, uh, at least at that point, you know, Iraq we've gotten out of and people who were following it closely could see things were going in a bad direction, but it wasn't that evident if you, if you didn't follow it closely. People are sick, understandably, of Afghanistan, and I don't think they, uh, they probably think it's a good idea for President Obama to hurry the withdrawal there. And the consequences of what a weak America around the world will mean, I think we'll, I think we'll see them in this term. So I do think things will be clearer in this term in terms of the failures of his policies. But I also think conservatives need to make need to do a much better job, and I know I know you agree with this, of explaining the alternative and making right. the case for the alternative, and not just assuming that you know we can just say, "Ha, huh, look at this! How, how, how stupid are these policies?" What can you expect? It's a moment of flux, you know. And some of the old conservative policies don't seem to have the old they once had which means conservatives need to do some fresh thinking and certainly some fresh presentation of their agenda. Right. Uh, because I am a well-read person and also a shameless suck-up, I was reading your blog posting at theweeklystandard.com, Bill Crystal, about President Obama's, the way he chose to phrase the conversation about how we achieve peace, almost as though victory is optional. Right. He used the term, I only noticed this after I wrote the piece, uh, this, this short blog post, he used the term peace in our time. Right. You think someone, some advisor might have, got, when they were going through the speech for the you know, 14th time, might have said, hey, didn't, didn't Chamberlain use that phrase? And it might have kind of a problematic. I'm, I'm, I'm a little puzzled. Right after that, he used uh, L'Etat C'est Moi, which I thought yeah, was not right. a big move yeah. either. Yeah, that had a good, yeah, right. They took that one out in the next last draft. <laughs> they they left and let them eat cake because they thought that was okay. But it really is the foreign policy, the two paragraphs that are on foreign policy, I was really struck by those. I mean, the degree to which it was all about engagement and 
to the degree that even one sentence of my praise for our men and women in uniform, but quickly moving on from that, no mention of any of the actual wars we're fighting in Afghanistan or elsewhere, or the conflicts we're involved in, no mention of terrorism, jihadism, no mention of Iran, no mention of nuclear weapons. It was all this abstract talk about how we'll be strong, we'll have allies, we'll do the right thing. Um, I was very struck by that sentence. Uh, we are also heirs to those who won the peace and not just the war. Uh, talking about World War II. Uh, as if it was easier to, to win the war. That that's not just the war. That anyone could do that. But winning the peace, you know, setting up NATO, that was the hard thing. I mean, I'm impressed by the post-war architects, but uh, winning the war was kind of the most impressive thing. And we couldn't have won the peace unless we had won the war. That is a fundamental point. People need to, I think, make in response to this. I mean, you know, you can talk all you want about winning the peace and shaping the future. If you don't win the wars you're fighting, you're not going to do very. People aren't going to follow you in shaping the future and in winning the peace. And we are ending wars. President Obama said we're ending a decade of war. We're not ending them by winning them, unfortunately. We're ending them by getting out of them. And in places like North Africa, we're just ending, we're not getting involved in wars by not getting involved at all. So the Algerians go and rescue or kill our hostages. And the French go into Mali and we're slow in even giving them any help. And we don't go into Libya uh, in any serious way. So that place falls apart. And I mean, God knows what the Middle East and North Africa and further east, places like Pakistan, are going to look like, you know, after two years of American withdrawal and retrenchment. That scares me the most. I think it's a strong country. It's a strong economy. We can recover from his foolish domestic uh, policies, his foolish economic policies, even from the Fed and the trillion dollar deficits, I think. But uh, it's very hard. Once Iran gets nuclear weapons and once jihadists are more emboldened and topple more governments and set up uh, terrorist-friendly uh, enclaves, big enclaves, in North Africa and elsewhere, uh, and maybe again in Afghanistan. That's very hard to to recover from that. And it will be quite. I, mean, I worry that it will be painful to do so. Ah, Bill, come on. The Europeans will handle it. The Europeans are great at ha- imposing peace and bringing about peace. I don't know why you're so worried. And on that hopeful note, <laughs> you're reassured. You know, I'm going out into the cold New York weather here with a, just a little <laughs> lift in my step and exactly. a, a kind of uh, jump. Have in you my ever heart, seen a right problem that the, because of that thought? Thank have you, you ever Michael. seen a problem that the UN and NATO couldn't solve? I mean, come on. Look at the great work they did in the Balkans. I don't know why you're so upset. Bill Crystal here bringing us down, but we're always delighted to have you here on the Weekly Standard Podcast. Please check weeklystandard.com regularly for updated podcasts. I'm your host, Michael Graham.